Hi there, and welcome to the Pearls from My Mom podcast. Every mom has special pearls of wisdom she passes on to her kids. In this podcast, we'll be talking about those pearls of wisdom, as well as the life lessons that our moms have passed down to us. We will be sharing to keep the legacy alive. Hello, hello, and welcome to Pearls from My Mom. I'm your host, Jessie. And as always, I want to say a big thank you to everybody for tuning in today. And I think that you're going to have just a really good time over here listening to my interview with a totally fabulous lady. Her name is Julie Ostro. She is incredible. She is second city trained. So that tells you, first of all, she's hilarious. Um, She's a speaker, a trainer, an improv coach. She writes for the Positive Psychology People blog. And get this, she is the first ever American laughing champion. So I think that we are going to have plenty of opportunities to hear that wonderful laugh in our interview today. So let's just jump right in and talk to our friend Julie. Hey, Julie, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Oh, I'm so excited that you're here. I can tell that this is probably going to be a pretty fun one. Not that they're not all fun, but I think that you you are a, from our, from our pre-chat, you seem like a real fun lady, which I like. Well, you know what? I'm going to start right off the bat with quoting my mom, and she'd say, takes one to know one. Oh, yeah. And would, yeah. And I would, that could mean, oh, okay, that, that could be a negative or positive. But my mom would, I think another way to say that is, if you spot it, you've got it. But my mom would always say, takes one to know one. I love so, that. Yeah. I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love the, the words of wisdom from your mom here in a bit. But of course, we are here to talk about your mom. So let's jump right into it, as I always do. I want you, Julie, to just tell us, um, you know, obviously, we'd like to hear, you know, your mom's name. You can tell us anything you want about your mom, just what kind of person she was like. And, uh, and that's what we'll kick it off with. So go ahead. Mm. <laughs> My mom's name is or was. That's kind of tricky. <laughs> What's uh, Diane. Yeah, is Diane Irene Ostro. Yeah, she she, um, grew up up in Chicago. And one thing I always remember about my mom is she she always liked how she looked, but she wasn't materialistic. She wasn't um, judgmental of anybody else, but she always thought it was important to look nice. And it also carried through how she treated other people too. Look nice and be nice. And she was funny. She didn't always give herself credit for being funny, but she was funny. She was smart and she was funny. Hmm. Well, I can see she definitely passed some of that down to you for sure. (laughs) Uh, And she loved words too. Um, She studied to be an English teacher and she would mispronounce words on purpose. And then I, I do that too. Like, um, I was studying French in high school and my, a few of my friends and I also took French and my mom, instead of saying au revoir, she would say a reservoir, you know, to unpurpose, mispronounce it. And then my friends and I would, uh, we took it to the next level. So we called it, you know, a body of water. Cause I think maybe when I was a kid, I said, what's a reservoir? It's a body of water. So my friends in high school, whenever we would say goodbye, what dorks who were or intelligent, I don't know, but it was fun. Instead of saying goodbye, we would yell across the courtyard, a body of water. <laughs> That's how we said goodbye. <laughs> I love that. And that all sparked from my mom, like one thought. And there, there's that improv training, I guess, that started in, in high school. One thought building onto another thought. Oh. I think that's oh. awesome. Did she, did she end up being a teacher? Or, or sorry, she said she studied. 
She was not. No, she raised six kids. Oh. Yep. <laughs> That's a heck of a job. Yeah, that was a job. And through her, I learned the importance of the English language. And she would, um, and, and my father was a lawyer. So between the two of them, I tried to make sure that I spoke correctly so I wouldn't get in trouble. Um, and my mom, like right now, she would probably say, don't say um. And if I say, whenever I would say, yeah, she'd say, don't say yeah, say yes, or yes, please. So don't sound like a hick, yeah. My mom was also, she was like super into grammar. And I remember one time we were driving past the Arby's corporate headquarters because I'm from Colorado and it's out there. And their slogan at the time was go West. It's better out here. And she was like, well, you wouldn't be going West if it's out here. And it was like a whole thing for her. So, <laughs> I, always, I always tried to speak pretty well too. Cause my mom was like, she was an English person as well. So. Oh, maybe your mom and my mom are up there critiquing us. Like, oh, yeah, that was a good one. Oh, see, I just said, yeah. She mm. said, yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> Try not to pay attention to all the, um, the, the um, ums. And because, like, if you listen to the, when you listen to this back, you're just going to be like, oh, man. <laughs> don't. Yeah, you don't want any of that. You don't want any of that. Well, she sounds like she was a wonderful lady. And what was your relationship like with your mom? She was... She was my friend, but not, not, not a friend where there wasn't respect. She, I was the young, I'm the youngest of six and there's four years between the next oldest and me. And I mentioned that part because when everyone else went off to junior high, I still had at least an hour with my mom in the morning. So when I was little, it even in junior high and high school, I still had one-on-one -on -one time with her and she sang a song for me she made up this song and when she was making my one egg one piece of toast breakfast she'd hand she'd put the food on the plate and she'd sing julie is my friend she is my little friend and that um i mean she wouldn't call herself a singer but that's my that was a little song that she made for me so we were so we were friends I love that. I, that reminds me, that's, I, my daughter and I, are, we both kind of sing to each other a lot. And so I think that, that makes me feel really special. Like, hopefully that's something that she'll remember, you know, years down the road. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's nice. So you were the youngest of six. Mm -hmm. Was that hard? <laughs> As a side note, like, I, yes. I'm so curious about, like, big families. And my husband is the oldest of six. Oh. And in his family... They say, oh, the youngest, the youngest is babied and spoiled. Like, no. And as I stomp my foot, no, I wasn't spoiled. <laughs> but it was challenging in the sense that because um, we moved from our house that we grew up in Michigan in my senior year of high school. Everyone else is either married or off in college. And so for a while, the three of us, my mom, dad, and I um, kind of struggled. There were some challenges. And... Um, a f my freshman year after, no, at the end of my freshman year of college in Grand Rapids, Michigan, my parents and I then moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, and I went to NC State. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the tricky part. And just recently, I was talking with people, and I was thinking, why don't I remember just having such a blast in college? Oh, 
my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was in college. Mm. You know, and it's something I don't harp on. It's something we kind of talked about before we, we got on the call that I don't harp on. I don't even want to call it negative because if we call um, what we're experiencing, the challenges, we call it as negative. I think it's going to have a negative impact on our um, perspective on our lives. Well, the fact is my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and talking about these challenging experiences with other people who haven't experienced it, or maybe they've quote unquote moved on, which is a whole conversation in itself, right? When mm -hmm. someone tells you, oh, just move on. Well, that's bullshit. <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. sorry, I don't know if swearing is allowed on here. Um, but I, so we moved to Raleigh and then exactly one year later, my parents moved back up to the Chicago area because within that first year, so my my sophomore year of college, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer, had the breast surgery, and I don't remember if it was at Carolina or Duke, but I remember her bandages, and then they moved back up to the Chicago area, and only one time my mom asked me, so do you want to transfer to U of I? And to get back to our relationship, my mom had and I had conversations. And she respected when I'd have an opinion about something and we'd talk. But this one time, there was no conversation. This was it. Do you think you'd ever want to transfer to U of I? I looked right at her and I said, no. I'm, you know, I'm not going to transfer again. I'm not going to go through that. And it was a culture shock moving from the Midwest to North Carolina. You know, not like, it just, it's different. It's just, it was different for an 18, 19-year-old. So then to have... My mom diagnosed with breast cancer and then move away feeling abandoned for sure. Um, but that's one thing I just worked through. I'm not sure if it was the healthy of ways, you know, maybe I did experience depression in college for sure. Um, I just put, I just said maybe and for sure in the same sentence. Hmm. Um, <laughs> that's all right. Uh, yeah. Um, then, so that was, yeah. And then, when I would talk to my dad and just, I'd call, I'd call them and how are things going? And my dad would give an answer like, oh, oh, your mom fell again. And I said, wait a minute, she fell again? What do you mean? When did she fall the first time? Because eventually the cancer metastasized into her bones, mm -hmm. making her weak. So I would get mad that I didn't know about the first or second times that she fell. But what I do know is that they kept information from me because they didn't want to burden me with everything that she was going through when I was in college. Mm -hmm. That, that has to, I mean, that is such an important time in somebody's life, you know, like you're really just figuring out who you are and I'm, I'm an advisor for a collegiate program right now. And so I find a lot, like we have about a hundred members in our organization and a lot of them, not a lot, a few of them are going through, big things like this. And like, I just feel lucky that I didn't have to do that. And I like, I can't imagine what it was like going through that. So, I mean, it had to be pretty heavy for you, I'm sure. It was. And the family I grew up in, we don't, we don't talk about certain things. And so maybe I, you know, if there's certain things that are happening, happening in the family, you don't talk about it outside the family. And I, as we're talking about this now, maybe that's why I didn't reach out for help. Maybe I thought, I don't know what I thought. Like, oh, maybe the habit was don't reach out for help. And I do remember, and I was 
and I was a part of Chi Omega and and I was I'm now back in a collegiate role too. We even have it more in common, Jesse. I'm in a collegiate role too, and I'm facilitating programs at the alumni chapters around the country. But what I said to a couple of my sisters a couple of weeks ago was, and I wondered why I was not involved in college. Why wasn't I involved? Oh, because my mom was sick and dying. Oh. <laughs> you had bigger like you had bigger things on your mind for sure. Yeah. And now I and I do remember at one meeting just slumped in my chair, just feeling so incredibly sad and, and defeated. And and the president said, is anybody going through anything tough right now? And I just blurted out, I wish things would get better. And and that was the first time I shared with my sisters what was going on. And then I saw a sorority sister, you know, a few years ago, she said, I had no idea that was going on. And I, I guess what I'm getting to here is it's really okay if I would have gotten help, if I would have said, you know, my parents are really are hundreds of miles away. All my siblings are grown. They're, the closest one is five hours away, and they're in their own stage of life. Um, I don't know how to reach out for help. I, I, I think I need help, but I don't know what I need. You know, like sometimes you don't need, sometimes, like I was 19, 20. Now I know that, you know what, I'm feeling a little lost. I feel like I need guidance. I think I need help. I think I need to be by myself. But when I was 19 or 20, I'm not sure I knew what I needed. But looking back, like if, if I were to have sat next to that, Julie, I would have said, I'm here for you. You don't have to say anything, but just so you know, you don't have to be funny. You don't have to have all the, have all the answers, but I'm sitting right here with you. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's an important point. I'm the, I'm a chapter advisor for Alpha Phi here in oh. And, um, oh my gosh, we have so much, this is so fun to talk to you. <laughs> it's like I'm talking to a sister. I know. I love it. Yay. <laughs> but I, I do, I mean, it's, and I think it's hard on both sides because as a 19, 20 year old, you don't know that you're supposed to reach out. You don't know, a, you know, you just think that, that you're alone. Probably you probably don't want to burden other people with your problems. And then as you know, a peer sitting next to them, they probably don't know, you know, because they, they don't want to make it worse. They, you know, God forbid they say something that makes it worse. And so I think it's a really tough position for everybody to be in. And I want to touch on that one word you said, worse. What would be worse? I know. <laughs> what would be worse? Yeah. What? What, your friend who was grieving and going through a tough time is crying and sobbing? That's actually good. But I think we have in our society this mentality that we have to be strong. Mm -hmm. And... And I think I have, um, I, I have a habit or ability, whatever we want to call it, to do a lot by myself. And I can easily give the impression that I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And if I haven't communicated to, well, I don't want to communicate to the world everything that I'm, you know, the, every challenge I have. But if I don't say out loud what's happening, how on earth could I get help? But then on the same side, how will people on the outside know to help? Mm -hmm. And you're right, a 19, 20 year old, they're adjusting to the, the, the shitty stuff that's happening. Like, oh my gosh, I'm an hour and a half away from my parents. I've never lived alone. Um, I have to balance a checkbook. That is scary stuff. Mm -hmm. That's scary stuff for a 19 year old. So they can't, re I mean, in, in general, it, it's hard for uh, someone young to reach out for, to sh see 
to be a strong one. Does, does that make sense? I kind of feel like I'm rambling there. No, totally. I think, I mean, it, it was hard for me. Like my mom was um, diagnosed with cancer while I was a chapter advisor. And so people would come to me, you know, as they do, they would come to me with these, you know, 18, 19 year olds would come to me with their problems. And for a little while I was like, you know what, <laughs> let me tell you about real problems. Like, you know, I'm sorry that this sister was talking to your boyfriend at a party, but like, <laughs> and, and, and like for a while I was like, Uh, but then I had to really put myself into perspective and say, get over it, Jesse. Like when you were 18, 19, these were huge things to you. And this, you know, this is where you were at. And so just cause like, thank goodness they're not dealing with like real like life problems, like a mother being sick and, and, you know, my mom was terminal as well. So like it was only a matter of time, but I, I get it. And I think it's, it's a tough position for everybody to be in, but I guess the point is reach out. If you, if you see your friend struggling with something, reach out. And if you yourself are struggling, reach out. And it's, excuse me, it's okay as, as the friend to not have the answers and it's super okay not to fix it. Mm -hmm. And I, after my mom died, well, a year after I graduated from college, I moved back up to the Midwest. I lived in Chicago and I lived with my sister and my cousin and my mom was an hour train ride away, you know, so um, I was able to take, take the train out and visit her. So it was nice to have her close by mm-hmm. and my sister and I were support for each other for sure. Mm-hmm. And a couple years after my mom died, I was a volunteer grief counselor with, it's now called Leary, Leary's Children's Memorial, but it's Ch- it was Children's Memorial Hospital of Chicago. And I worked with those kids who had had a parent die age three to 18. Mm-hmm. And the, the most important thing that, that I learned was being present and that's all you need. If, um, and reflective listening, it's really interesting that what I learned on stage at Second City really was parallel, parallel to what we learned in, in the training. That was don't force something, don't question, don't judge, just be there. And the fact that three-year-old Johnny was trying to build a sandcastle to his daddy in the sky, that's what he was gonna do. And I just sat there and supported him and kind of reflected what he was doing and playing. And the reason I bring that up is because that's how we can be there for our grieving friends. If, and that doesn't mean get into the sobbing like your friend is, but just be there. You know, you don't have to change the energy that she's created. You don't have to change it because it feels uncomfortable. Just be there with her. That, I think if I knew if I knew what I needed, say in high school, if I would have said, you know, I just, or college, can, can you just sit with me for a little bit? I don't know what I feel, but it doesn't feel good. Can you just sit with me? Mm-hmm. I think, I think those are strong words. I think I'll probably use that in the, in meeting on Sunday. I'll talk to you <laughs> how to, how to be there. Just like, just being there for somebody I think is important. Yeah. And if, if you want to talk after this, we, I, we can talk even further if you want more pointers on how to facilitate that if you want to. I totally do. Okay. Yeah. So just so we have a little bit of context, I guess, can you give us a sure. scope of about how long it's been since your mom's been gone? Yeah. She died in 92 okay. and she, so she died at, she died at age, age 59 mm-hmm. in cool. March. It is young. And in that March of that year, and she would have been 60. Well, I don't know if I don't have to do the math for the listeners, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
she would have had 60 um, in November of that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, when I talk to people about, oh yeah, you know, my mom has passed or if it just comes up, I skate over it for sure. I don't have a conversation like this. I skate over it. And then I, I say something that's going to make quote unquote, everybody feel better. Oh, the experience has made me who I am. And I even hesitate to say she was a beautiful person and she was funny because when I say that to people who haven't lost a mom or even someone close, it might just me be, might just me projecting, but I feel like it's, oh, there was a was in there. I don't know what to deal, how to deal with this instead of my being able to talk further about what I learned from her. Mm-hmm. Does that make does that make sense? It does. Yeah, it's it's a tough. There's a tough bit of language because I mean, my mom's only been gone for two and a half years, and I I still struggle with like the 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 terminology behind. You know, like I don't know. She still exists to me. Like I, I still, you know, I, even though I physically can't touch her and I can't pick up the phone and call her, like I still have a relationship with her. So. Yeah. How do you do that? Is it just in you? How do you do that? Because I, I think I want, I want to do more, more like, I want to do that too with my mom. Yeah. I, um, I write her letters. My mom was like the master of the Christmas update letter, you know, Mm. like with the family pictures and she would send them to all the people and, you know, like (laughs) this is what's been going on for our family this year. And so I, I write her letter. That's how I journal. I can't, I'm not, I do like writing, but I don't know. I find journaling like tough for me for some reason. I don't know why, but I do like writing her letters. So I write her like, Oh, this is what Melody's up to, you know, and this is what Caden's doing. And, um, you know, wait till you get a load of what my sister said or, you know, like stuff like that. And I think that to me makes me feel more connected. And I will do that. Like I'll take a hike, you know, cause like my mom loved nature. So like I'll take a hike and I'll just reflect and then I can write that letter to her I like that I think um I think I'll I'll do that yeah. I'll, I'll yeah give her an update Thank you for that <laughs> I will I know it's yeah I can do that yeah I do I try to include her in everything I do and I and like I don't know if it's annoying to people again like I I don't know if people are like oh awkward but um you know, I, I just try to include her in everything. And so I always bring her up. But do, do you talk about your mom a lot? Or I mean, it, so let's say it's been roughly like around 25 years. So yep. last year was 25 years. Like, um, and I, I'm not afraid to say that last year I turned 50. And it was a really pivotal um, year because it marked half of my life without her half my life. Mm. Half my life. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you that as I'm talking to you about this, I'm struggling with feeling like I'm sounding like I feel sorry for myself. Mm-mm. I don't think so. I, it's just, I mean, you just, you're just aware of it. That's all. Yeah. And it's because I, when I'm, when I am going to talk about her, I feel like it would make other people uncomfortable because she's not here. No, not, well, not my audience. They, yeah, <laughs> we know what they're yeah. getting into when they listen to this show. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe I'll, I'll listen to your podcast yeah, do it. more often. Yeah. And yeah, that was just a little awareness moment there for me that I, I don't talk to her, talk. I don't talk to her. I don't talk about her. I think about her. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, when I'm working hard on my programs and when, even when I'm presenting and I think, um, 
she has to be here. I, I feel like she's, I don't know if she's an, a guardian angel. I don't know if I feel that because I want that to be, but I, I, I feel her. I feel like she's proud of me. I feel like she's been a driving force to keep me moving and not quitting. Mm-hmm. I'm a hundred entrepreneur is hard, but I just have to you know, keep pushing and, and there are times when I mean, there are a couple of times, I, I don't know what it is, but sometimes there's no one else in the room and I feel a deliberate tap on my shoulder. What? <laughs> I love that. I love that tap. And it might be, you know, that maybe she just missed the mark because she would always tap me in between my shoulders when I was developing. I was really self-conscious. She would tap me between my shoulder blades to have me stand up straight. I'm like, but I don't want to stick my chest out. <laughs> so maybe she was having me because I do slouch over the computer. Maybe she was having me sit up straight. <laughs> well, that's good. That's a good posture reminder. It is. Well, I mean, <sighs> like she passed away in at a point in your life where, let's be honest, most people in their early twenties are like pretty self. You're still trying to figure out who you are, and you're pretty self. You're trying to discover all of that, and you're trying to self-absorbed I guess is probably in a, like a not in a terrible way but like everybody at that age is self-absorbed I think yeah know? who am I I recently so 25 you're pretty much recently graduated from college really what 22 that's a couple years out of college that's still fresh mm-hmm. who am I what career where do I want to go do I want to get married do I want to have kids do I want to have a career do I want to travel who who am I yeah 25 still who am I yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense that, that you might, you know, try to still think about how to just kind of plug forward and not really see my mom passed away when I was 35. So to me, I had kind of figured out who I was. Well, I'm still like constantly figuring that out, but whatever. Um, but like <laughs> my main focus was trying to figure out how to keep her legacy alive. Like I was terrified. Like I already had children once she passed, you know, I had, I had already had two kids. I'd been married. So like I was trying to figure out how to keep her legacy alive for them and her legacy alive for the rest of the world. Cause I had already, I felt like I had already kind of like, you know, I, I don't have to worry about myself so much. And so I think it's just, I think it's just timing really of, of when it happened. And I don't think that makes any it better or worse in either way, you know? Right. Right. It doesn't. So, so you said you don't talk about her a whole lot. What about with your, with your siblings? Do you guys talk about her a lot or? Uh, we're not as close as we used to be. That's normal. I mean, you know, everybody has their own things. That they're doing. Yeah, we got our own thing as I'm watching the recording button flash. <laughs> I don't <laughs> too much of that stuff in here. Um, but, you know, my, one of my sister's um, daughter had an interview in Chicago and over the summer they came and we had so many laughs, laughing so hard. We're outside and my niece might've been embarrassed a little bit, but I couldn't tell because my sister Patsy and I were laughing so hard. We were crying. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, oh, it was when my niece was at um, her interview. And so my sister and I were walking down um, streets of, of Chicago and we were talking just, so that was the last time I had a conversation with one of my sisters about mom. And she was saying, you know what, you know, cause her older daughter is graduating from law school just in a couple months. And she, from, from my sister's perspective, mom never met her kids. Like, you know, I never thought about that. I don't, I don't have kids, but, um, 
the the other siblings do have kids and they my mom only met the oldest who's now i think she's maybe 30 but what what am i getting to i don't know what my point is right now that when we're talking the last time i talked with my a sibling about my mom was over the summer and instead of here i guess maybe this is a sign of my maturing <laughs> or maybe I guess if you're saying that you're mature, you're not. But anyway, that's another talk, right? Um, that when she said, you know, what's been challenging for me, she said, is I see my kids grow up and mom never even met them. And then for me, never having kids, I'm still in my own world of I never, mom never got a chance to see what I've done, mm -hmm. see who I've become. Mm hmm and I, and I'm going to tell you, I feel gypped. I feel gypped. And I hesitate to say that because I, I don't want to feel like people feel sorry for me. I don't want to, because I always feel, as I'm talking about this, Jesse, I realize I have, I put on a pretty tough exterior mm -hmm. that, you know, I don't want to say um, that, oh, this was hard because then I'm going to be told move on. It was a long time ago. So I tell myself that right away. But right now, if you could see my face, my face is conflicted. And maybe other people listening to this feel that too. Like, you know what? I really want to talk about my mom, but I don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable or I don't want to feel like the martyr. I'm going to sound like the martyr, the victim, the so to feel sorry for the self person. But, but really in reality, it would make me feel a lot better if I could talk about my mom. Well, I think you should. I mean, that's why, that's why we're here, but I mean, it, it doesn't matter. Like it, it everybody deals with it unless somebody's lost their mom they don't know how you deal with it do you know what i mean like and so I, I have a question for you julie has anybody ever told you to move on that it was a long time ago or um, something that you feel that they would say someone did say that to me years ago really yeah it was uh, a guy who was dating at the time and he said you're still upset it's been three months oh my god <laughs> what that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And again, X, that was, you know, <laughs> are you kidding me? You're going to tell me that? This is my first grief rodeo, but still I know three months is pretty short. Uh, first month, you're in total blur. Mm -hmm. minimum, minimum first month, you're in a blur. Um, and then these kids who, who I worked with, they would have teachers saying, you know, it, it, it's been a month, you, you know, you need to get over it or, and that's why that, that's why that place, uh, Heartlight is so good. I think it should be for everybody, not just for kids, a place where you can feel your feelings and not be judged. There's even an, there's an angry room, you know, the, you know, you hit, you can hit each other, but no headshots. That was like one of the rules, no headshots. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. No headshots. You know, hit each other with, um, boxing gloves, batakas. There's also a playroom, creative room, or if you want to talk to somebody, I feel like that setting would be perfect for anybody who's grieving. You know what? I'm really mad that my that my mom left. I feel gypped. You know, instead of being um, instead of doing what I'm doing to myself, and that's editing, saying no, you shouldn't feel that way. And what it has done is made me independent. You know, here I go. I'm flipping into what it taught me is. It, it taught me to be even more independent, but I don't know if that's so good, you know, to be so incredibly, um, so self-reliant where I'm not connected with people on this level. Do, does that, I don't know if. Well, 
this is real talk. I yeah. hadn't even thought. <laughs> it is, but I, and I don't think that, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think it's whatever, whatever you do to make yourself happy. Like I, I was supposed to have a call with my sister last week. I wanted, I wanted to record an interview with my sister because my sister's been through a lot, not just with our mom passing away. Her husband passed away when he was 31 and like she's overcome so many things and she is such an amazing survivor and she doesn't listen to my podcast. So it doesn't matter. She's not going <laughs> to, she's not going to hear this anyway, but um, I wanted to interview her and we had it all set up and then I called and she said, I don't want to do this. And that's, like that's her thing. She doesn't want to talk about it that much. She'll she'll talk about my mom every once in a while, but th she doesn't want to like lay it all out there. And she just wants to keep plugging and do the best with what she has. And like I I can't feel bad about that. Like that's my way is to talk about her. I mean, I made a podcast about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's not just in a little five person support group. No, you've got you've got peeps. Yeah, well, hopefully they're out there. But and and like I so I I understand that everybody deals with it differently and you might deal with it differently a year from now than you're dealing with it. You know like it's we learn and we evolve and so it's not good or bad. It just is what it is for you. I do know that being without a mom had and and having been uprooted from the Midwest down to North Carolina. Though, and having to basically grow up pretty quickly mm. made, made me strong. It really did. You know, we could even look at the word strong too, <laughs> but it really did. It made me um, independent. It also made me, I don't know. It's, I always did, you know what? I also searched for moms, like whenever, wherever I went, it seemed like I would find a, a woman friend, whether it was like in a support group or just a small community that I lived in Wilmington, North Carolina, like, oh, you can be the daughter I never had. And I'd say, and I'd say you can be the mom I don't have. Mm -hmm. So I have a handful of moms around, around the world. <laughs> but, yeah. I think that's awesome. I don't think there's any, I think your mom would be happy with that. You know, like, I think she would, she'd be totally fine with that. So what do you do to keep her memory memory alive? Like, do you have any special traditions at any, you know, holidays are usually a big one or like anniversaries are a big one for people. Do you have anything special that you do to, to kind of keep your mom around in your thoughts? I have um, a cabinet that was um, in the house that she grew up, grew up in. And it's this beautiful oak bookcase um, it's a built-in, has a built-in desk, takes up one whole wall, solid oak. And when I look at that, I think of her and I have some pictures that, um, I have a picture of her. And I also have a picture of the day that she dropped me off at camp years ago. I came across that and I put that on the bookshelf, but I, I look at that bookshelf and I think of my mom because that was in the house that she grew up in. Mm -hmm. Um, and as far as the tradition, I think having this conversation is really good, Jesse, because I'm thinking, I think it's time to start incorporating her into my day mm -hmm. more so. And maybe even sitting in my office, like, hey, what do you think about that? <laughs> totally. I have a picture. I have two pictures of my mom sitting here watching me record. <laughs> I, hey there. <laughs> yeah. I always just, I like, I, I look at it periodically. One's a, one's a picture of her when she was like a hippie child back in the, in the sixties. And then one's a picture of her and I together. And it just, I don't know. I just, I like having her here. It makes me, it makes me happy. 
I think I'm after our call, I'm going to take the picture that's downstairs, the one where she's holding my hand, which is the day she dropped me off at camp. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm in maybe in fifth grade. And I think I'm going to put that in my office where I do most of my creative work. Mm -hmm. So she's looking at me, holding my hand while I'm doing whatever. Mm -hmm. I think you should. And I know that you said that you, you know, you kind of felt a little bit gypped. And I think like having like, I don't know. I don't know if you believe what people believe, but like, you have to know that she would be proud of you and you have to, you have to know that you know, you're an amazing person and you've done incredible things and you're going to continue to do incredible things. And your mom, you know, is, she can always be a part of that. So I think you should include her in your, in your office where you do all your creative work. I like that. Yeah. So you're a funny lady. <laughs> and it, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> It would have shown up more in our pre-conversation than it's because we're, we're getting deep, which I love. I'm, I'm super loving this conversation. But so did you, do you feel like you lost your funny a little bit or, you know, after she passed away? Or do you feel like you've you yeah. got his motivation? Because, I mean, you studied with Second City and I mean, these are these are amazing things that you're done and and being the you know first ever laughter American. Wait, the first ever American laughing champion. So did you lose your funny at all? Or, I mean, did you use it as motivation? Uh, both, both. And when my mom died, 92, I was living and working in the city in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And the where I worked, there were people about my age, you know, 20s, so peers. And I was always funny. I mean, always finding the funny, you know, that's my motto too, was always finding something humorous in the workplace. And when you just asked me that question, I remembered, oh God, I've got it right here. This, um, my coworkers gave me, um, you know, uh, sympathy cards and there, I'm, I have this book that uh, one of my managers gave me and it's 3500 good jokes for speakers and he gave that to me and then i don't know if it says it in here but it says it says aware aware has sunshine gone i mean ostro hmm. so people i worked with saw that my my sunshine left mm -hmm. so he gave me this book hoping that i'd get my funny back and I've had this on my bookshelf since 92. So how did you get your sunshine oh. back? Like how, I, was it the specific thing you did or was it just like a, a continuing healing process? A continuing healing process. And I think my ability to see the humorous side of life anyway. Um, and I also know that when something is painful and hard and challenging, and if I do come out with the humor, it can come out either sarcastic or harsh or pathetic. Um, <clears throat> but there's that type of humor. There's also looking at humor from a different uh, um, challenging experiences, challenging times from a humorous perspective, or just laughing at the same thing can take away the burden 
So I, I don't know if I'm really answer. I'll try to answer a little bit more succinctly. I think it's definitely more of a process. Finding support groups for sure. I'm like, ah, oh, that doesn't work for me. And then go into a different group. And then a couple of years after my mom died, when I was the volunteer at um, the bereavement support group, while I was helping those other kids, that helped me too. Being every other volunteer also had some type of loss. So it's not that we would lament about that, but there was a support in that group. Just feeling supported is really important. And then um, I think then studying at Second City, that helped me to be real in the moment Mm -hmm. as well. So I feel like I'm not giving you a real clear-cut answer because my humor can be, I think it's less sarcastic than it was back then, because I used, I think back then, maybe like 20, 25 years ago, I used humor more as a protection. Mm-hmm. And I feel like humor now I use as um, uh, like the way through, like that, that's my goal. It, I, there is always something humor in, humorous in every situation. But back then I knew that I had, I think more, maybe I was in more pain than I gave myself um, um, the right to feel. Cause you, because when I'm feeling, when there's that pain, it's easy to cover up with something. Mm-hmm. I feel like I went on a huge tangent, and I'm not quite sure where I was going with that. I like it. I liked every second of it. I, I mean, I, you answered the question, and you, I think you should find humor in what you're doing, and I do think that at different stages, humor is different things. So yes, sometimes it is a wall that you might put up because you don't want to deal with something or because you don't want people to know your real feelings. But, but then, you know, maybe it evolves into this is how I deal with things and it's not to put up a wall. It's just because I have to laugh. I have to make myself happy. And, um, and I, I think that's great. Yeah. And this, it depends on, Sorry, I am trying to move the microphone away when I clear my throat. That if um, something is really challenging, last year I got audited. Turns out I got money back from the IRS, but it was a very stressful time and I was not finding humor in it at all. Mm -hmm. But when I saw the light at the end of the tunnel, that's when I started feeling like I could see something humorous, started to see the humor in it. So I think that's parallel to in grief too, that if when we're in the depths of it, Sometimes it's hard to see the humor in it. Yeah, I, I agree. We all laughed at my mom's funeral, though. We did. I think that's great. My, we didn't, my, my mom didn't even want a funeral, and I, I'm still like a little bitter about that because a funeral is not really for the dead person. It's for the other people, right? Um, but my sister right. and I had a party at my sister's house, and we put up signs all over. We put up pictures and signs all over, and we said, if you need to laugh, laugh need to cry cry if you need hugs do it if you want to tell inappropriate jokes that's your thing like there is no judgment here we're just here to honor my mom and at the at the end of the thing I was checking in with my sister I said how do you think that went she said good and she said my only regret is that we didn't do a life-size cardboard cutout of mom that people could take pictures with and the weirdest thing is that I had that same idea and I really wish we would have had that life like it would have had to been like my mom would have wanted it to be like a skinny picture of her you know because like she was really self-deprecating about that but like if we would have found I would have found the perfect picture people could have taken selfies with it and I'm I'm really sad that we didn't but we did we had people telling funny stories and the laughter only helped, you know, I didn't, you don't, 
we didn't do like a eulogy. We just said, hey, look, like my mom's, she was amazing. She was funny. And I want to hear what you have to say about her. And I think that that helps so much. So I'm glad you laughed at her funeral, not in like a sick way, but like in a dealing with it. That's how she probably would have wanted it, you know? Yeah. And the tension, <clears throat> the tension in the room at the funeral home dissipated because you know, there's that, oh, it's very somber and everybody is somber. And I think this is funny. When I've shared this story, not everybody thinks this is funny, but it was to me and all of us in the room. I mean, all of us siblings. So my mom's casket is at the front of the room. The casket's at the front of the room. And five of us are seated further back. One sister, or four of us, or I can't do math right now, one sister, we just hear her say, thanks so much for coming. We think she said that to our mom. And we all look at each other thinking, oh my God, she has totally lost it. Nancy's lost it. She's going up there and saying, thanks for coming, mom. No, she was saying goodbye to old neighbors who were leaving out that door. Oh. <laughs> like, oh my God. So in that moment, we all looked at each other, started laughing. And the story itself might not, yes, you thought it was funny. I did too. But what I share, I share in this, these talks, when, in my talks when I say, you know, you can find funny even at a funeral. And it was that moment when we all laughed, looked at each other. This is really absurd. It was really absurd that we, and funny that we all thought that same thing at the same time. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, you could feel that tension, that sadness dissipate. We all laughed together. And then guess what? It seemed like everybody in the room was given permission to laugh. They don't know what we were laughing at, but then they started laughing. Mm -hmm. I do like the idea of being deliberate about telling stories. That's what I would want at mine. You know, you don't have to just, you don't have to look at my body. I don't know what, you know, I'm already self-conscious of people staring at me, even though I get up on stage, but I don't want people staring at my body. I get like, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's a size eight. No, I thought she was a size 10. Wait, she was a size four. No, I don't I want, I want people to talk about funny stories too. That's, I like that idea. Yeah, I think, I think it's important to share those kind of things. So, so do it. So do it more. I will do it. <laughs> I will do it. I'm still around too, you know, like we all, we have to celebrate everything constantly, I think. I do love it when I hear myself saying things that my mom would have said and I didn't even plan it. It just comes out like, whoa, I'm channeling her. I love that. Mm -hmm. I do that all the time. And I think like the whole heart of the show is the, you know, the pearls of wisdom that your mom gave to you. So can you think, it doesn't have to be like a, a specific saying or something, but can you think of maybe like your favorite pearl of wisdom from your mom? I remember coming home from middle school and I was talking about a story saying, hey, Mary said such and such about, about, about Jane. And my mom said, you know, even though you didn't say it, and because you're, you're repeating it, it's as if you said it too. Don't do that. Hmm. So she was very quick to correct me if I was getting in that gossipy mode. Mm -hmm. No, don't, you wouldn't want anybody to do that to you. My mom did that too. My mom. Really? 
Yeah. If my sister and I, we would like, we would either like make, not make fun of somebody. We were like pretty nice people, but you know, all kids are kind of like, whatever. And Mm -hmm. my mom would say like, well, it's a good thing that I have two perfect children that just have the right. And you know, they can make fun of anybody that they want. (laughs) Yes. Every time we were like, Oh, and you know what? And I had something else that it wrote down because I wanted to make sure I covered a couple things that we, you know, before our conversation. And if I would criticize something on TV, like, oh my gosh, did you see her outfit? And meanwhile, I'm talking about, about a skater who's doing, you know, a triple sow cow, you know, three in a row. Like, oh my gosh, did you see that? Oh, can you do better? Or, 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 or oh my gosh, she tripped up a little bit. Can you do better? Whoa. So it's all about don't criticize other people. You know, take a look at yourself. <laughs> but she said it in a way, it sounds like with your mom too, but my mom said it in a way of, that made me think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, you know, it just kind of was like, oh, wait, yeah, you know what? You're right. And it, it's that teaching of empathy. And gosh, I think our world needs that more than ever nowadays, just, you know, with the internet and all the ugliness. And I really think we maybe hopefully more people like us will walk around sounding like our moms. <laughs> empathy. It's the empathy. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly right. She inherited, my mom was like her mom and my grandma lived near us in a nursing home. And when we go to see grandma, even she had the smallest scoop of her favorite ice cream, which is butter pecan. My grandma always offered it. Even if it was like her last bit, she'd always offer it. So I think her generosity and caring passed down to her daughter, my mom. Hmm. I think that's really nice. I do too. I don't care for buttercream ice cream. What? But they, crazy. But I would all say, "Oh no, thank you, Grandma. You have it." That's crazy. That crazy lady. <laughs> I've never heard of such a thing. I know. Who doesn't like buttercream? It's so good. My son wouldn't. He's got he's got the whole nut allergy thing. But I love buttercream. Oh, I like. I like moose tracks. Anyway, oh, we're, that's for that's for our real ice cream talk podcast. Yeah, yeah we definitely we need some of that. Real ice cream. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we awesome. do. So, do you I just? Feel, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. Well, I was just curious. Like, do you feel like that pearl of wisdom? You know, it's shaped your life in any way, or like you, you know, you you've heard yourself saying it or thinking it to yourself. Yeah, I think it's you know, making sure that I'm treating people kindly. You know, I'm not saying I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. And I've um, probably made people mad. You know, I'm not, I'm not perfect. And I'm not, you know, I'm not Mother Teresa. But I try to I try to think that I treat people with respect and caring and understanding. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I, I want to make sure I do. I think that's important. I think that's really important. And I hope that, I hope there's more of that. Like, I hope this is the worst point that, that our world's ever going to be at. And like, people are going to start, you know, I'm not, it's not all doom and gloom. Like I just, there's a lot of trolls on the internet, right? Everybody knows that. So like, I just hope that, that our world kind of says, you know what, let's do kindness more. Let's kind of make that our thing. I, how about this? Is it possible that there are really good people out there, but unfortunately, our attention is focused to the negative? 
Well, because they're the only people that chime in, you know, like I'm a, like, I'll just tell you right now, I'm a really good person, but, and I don't comment on those things. Cause I, if I go to the comment section and I see all that stuff, I'm like, Ugh, I don't like, I want to stay as far away from that as possible. Cause if I, if I try to spread my sunshine and butterflies, then I feel like I'm just going to get attacked for it. So yeah, I do think the world is full of good and beautiful people. And I think that if you're out there doing it, you know, seeing the world every day, you'll see that. But it's, you know, as online usage increases and and we spend more of our lives online, it's hard to see it there because us sunshine and butterfly folks, we don't, we don't put it out there as much as the others but i do think i like i said i don't think it's all doom and gloom i do think it's out there in the world um i just hope i just hope it gets more and more pervasive you know it just it works itself in there more yeah i think you're right about the commenting though because i don't want to like okay fine if you're going to be all piss and vinegar i'm going to be over here in my happy and sunshine and i don't i don't want to get involved in that and sometimes i do i have like nope i'm not doing that Mm. not doing that and you're right even like oh well then you're just a pessimist because or you're just um living in your own fantasy world well if my fantasy world is making me happy then that works but Mm. um i guess we're getting off on i don't want to get too much on a tangent on that but um i like tangents i'm good with them tangents but also i guess what we're getting to is don't don't criticize, you know, and it's, could you do any better? Could you do better? Mm-hmm. I like you know, that. instead of criticizing somebody else. And I think that's why I'm all, maybe, who knows, you know what, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking maybe that's what's driving me. That question was, can you do better? So don't criticize anybody else, but maybe I've been internal. Can you do better? Hmm. Keep doing your best. Okay. I do. We're going to people here. I like this. What's up? I said I like this. It's getting real deep. I like, you know, like there's a lot of self-reflection here, which I think is amazing. Yeah, I've had these. I I didn't even expect to talk this way. This is great. I love it. I do wonder if I'm. Oh, sorry. No, I want to hear what you have to say. I do wonder if I'm trying to prove to my mom that I am evolving into a woman she she would be proud of. I'm sure you, I'm sure that's, that's a major probability. Like I always think about how, you know, like how my mom would think about what I'm doing and, and like, I think it shapes a lot of what I do. So I think that that's a huge possibility or it's a probability that that's, you know, you do things for her, even though she's gone. And I think that's a way that you can keep connected to her, you know? That's another another form of connection with her. And it, like, you may or may not believe it, but she, like, in some way that she's giving you feedback and she's giving you that approval. That feels good. Yeah, I'm taking all that in. Yeah, that's good stuff. We, did, we talked a lot about the grieving process you know, a little bit earlier. So do you have any advice? I mean, it, I feel like, you, I feel like you should. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, you, work, you worked with people that were grieving and children that were grieving. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. If there's somebody that's listening to this right now, that's like, I don't know if I'll ever, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever be the same or I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Like, what would you say to them? I would say that if 
someone tells you it's time for you to quote unquote move on, <laughs> move on from that advice. Don't, you don't have to listen to them. If you feel like sitting in your room and crying, that's what you need to do. There's so many different phases, phases of the grieving process. It's not linear. You could say it's circular and spiral, but then it's, you know, up there are ups and downs. I say the biggest advice is if you feel sad, acknowledge that you feel sad. If you feel um, grateful for the lessons that you learned from your mom, feel that. And, and guess what? This is one thing we don't talk about. You can feel sad and happy at the same time. You might feel a little schizo because you're feeling more than one emotion and you might question yourself, wait a minute, I'm so confused. You can feel, you can feel relieved that your mom is no longer in pain. At the same time, you can miss her deeply and you can be ticked off that she's gone. Mm-hmm. And that's normal. And I think that's normal. Like, you know, I'll use air quotes. What is normal? Someone who hasn't experienced the grieving process, especially if someone who would have such a positive, I mean, um, such an impact on our lives is gone. How, how do we face that? How do we call normal? Normal is not living a life that makes everybody feel comfortable. And I think that's what Everybody, oh, that's not normal. Oh, she's crying too hard. That's making me feel uncomfortable. So I I have to stop that. So the advice is, if you feel angry, acknowledge that you feel angry. And I'm not saying be violent toward anybody, but don't disregard your feelings. And I would say that's number one, what I learned as a volunteer grief counselor and guiding those kids who had had a parent die. Age three to 18, losing uh, losing a parent. Mm -hmm. And when a child would say, my name's Johnny. I'm sad. My dad died. A lot of times people, I think people out there will say, oh, they try to give solutions. Oh, he's better off. He's not in pain anymore. Oh, you'll be fine. All three of those phrases or any derivatives of those are telling the griever that what they're feeling is not valid. Mm-hmm. So those, you'll get over it, or he's not in pain anymore, anymore, completely invalidates, negates the feeling of, I, the statement and feeling, I feel lost because my dad died. I feel lonely because my mom died. So as someone who is grieving, allow yourself to feel those feelings. And you're going to have all these, you're, you're going to laugh and you're going to cry in an instant maybe even at the same time. You're going to laugh so hard, maybe with your friends, your siblings, and you're going to laugh because your mom said something really funny, or you're going to find that you do something exactly like she did, it's going to make you laugh. And in a split second, you're going to cry because you miss her. Just don't question that that's what you're doing, that, oh my gosh, I'm psychotic. No, 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 no. You're feeling your feelings. You're human. You loved this person. And how you're feeling is completely normal. Even it feels like you're on an emotional roller coaster. Hang on for the ride. It's going to be fun. It's going to be bumpy and it's going to be scary, but keep going through. Keep going. I love it. I think that's wonderful advice. So you're a funny lady and I want to ask you a random question about, about your mom. Okay. So if your mom had a ghost outfit, what would what would it be? Oh, what, would you, what would your mom be wearing? Oh my god, I just pictured it. 
Oh my God. I just remembered a picture that when um okay, I think I was still in college, but my sisters when they um lived in that same apartment in the city, there was a Christmas party. My mom I have a picture of my mom. She probably wouldn't like this because like I told you, I think before the call, she was very elegant. She was also she always liked how she looked. And she wasn't always goofy outside of the house because she, you know, she came, she always looked nice and carried herself well. Mm-hmm. But, well, I'm the one being interviewed, so I can share this, right? Mm-hmm. She put a napkin over, I don't know if it was my sibling or my dad, but she had this napkin over her face and it had a face drawn on it. Mm-hmm. And she put her glasses over it and she just sat there. Like in their normal pose, like, you know, like a lady, their hands, one hand on top of the other. Her legs might have been crossed. Nice outfit. And then she just kind of tilted her head. And she had the napkin on her face with a face drawn on it and glasses. said i'm not gonna do that no she willingly did that that's perfect that is a perfect ghost outfit <laughs> and of course if you wear glasses you have to put your glasses on right well yeah it's very important like how could she see if she didn't exactly have- <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh thank you for this Oh, this is wonderful. I love it. See, now everybody gets a taste of why you were the first ever American laughing champion. Oh, and there you go. I love it. Okay, so you're, Julie, I love you. You're phenomenal. I think you're the best. I love you, Jesse. Oh, thanks. New so, friends. We're new best friends. I know, I love it. I'm super into it. So tell us how, if people want to get coached by you or if people want to contact you or if you got, like, give us all the goods. Do you have a website that people can, can check you out at or? Awesome. Thank you. Yes, I got the goods. Mm-hmm. Give, us, give us the goods. My website is julieostro.com. J-U-L-I-E-O, S is in Sam, T is in Tom, R-O-W.com. Mm-hmm. Julieostro.com. I have videos on there where you can see me in action, but most importantly, I've got a link on there for communication coaching. So I can coach people and how to connect with heart and humor with their audiences. So say if you work at a corporation even, and you have to speak to a board of directors, and go, oh, I know my stuff, but I'm so afraid to talk to people. I can help people use humor and laughter, kind of like we did today, but use humor and personal stories to connect with their audiences and ultimately um, be even more um, helpful and uh, beneficial to your company. And I, I give keynote presentations about humor in the workplace, um, using humor and laughter to de-stress. But um, for one-on-one coaching, I'm, uh, I've got the public speaking coaching and communication coaching. That's wonderful. Okay, so julieostro.com. Everybody go there, check her out, hire her. She's the best. Thank you, Jesse. I, I really enjoyed this. And I think we should have, I really enjoy weekly conversations, whether it's recorded or not. <laughs> Me too. I'm in, man. Yeah. I'm so in. Oh, I just, I really, really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and talk about my mom. I really, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful. Thank you so much.
I'm so glad that you came into this. I think that people are really going to enjoy the interview and, um, and I think, I think there are a lot of golden nuggets in here that people can take away if they need to. So I think that's awesome. Mm. You're, you're good. You're, you're a good egg. Yep. <laughs> that sounds like something my mom would say. <laughs> and I'm thinking your mom's proud of you. Well, yep. you. Yeah. So. You're a good egg. Well, I think Julie's a good egg and I'm so happy that she came to talk to us today. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation because she is just quite a dynamite lady, if I do say so myself. Now, if you want to learn more about Julie, you can head on over to pearlsfrommymom.com where I'll have all of the, you know, the links to everything that she does in there so you can kind of check her out. And you'll see on there that there are ways to support the podcast. Of course, I just appreciate you listening and that is you know fabulous so if that's what you're into awesome thank you so much for listening if you want to share it with your friends that'd be great if you want to join us on social media I have the Facebook group I have a Facebook page for pearls from my mom so come join us on social media if you want to become a Patreon donor basically what you do is you just pledge an amount per month so it could be as little as a dollar I think it could be a little as you know five cents but you just pledge that amount and then there are some perks that are on there and that's always appreciated I know that if I had a little bit more if I had more money to devote to the podcast I would definitely find somebody to help me with the sound quality of the uh, online interviews because they I do know that they're not it's not perfect so anyway but that's not required it's totally appreciated if you want to do it but no worries um, and other than that just keep on you know listening to the show if you want to be on the show or if you have ideas questions comments you can email me at pearlsfrommymom at gmail.com and until next time keep sharing to keep the legacy alive